Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. Uh, for those of you uh, that want, came today expecting to hear some Tennessee harmony, you're going to have to wait uh, 24 hours. Uh, Pastor Anthony had a schedule conflict where we will have some Tennessee harmony on Thursday. Uh, that's the bad news. The awesome news is awesome show planned for you today. Awesome show. Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running for president of the United States, running for the uh, Republican nomination, he's going to join us on this show. I cannot wait to talk to Vivek. Uh, he's an interesting man. I discovered him uh, on Tucker Carlson's show, where he was a frequent guest. Very smart guy. Can't wait to talk to him and hear why he's running for president. Uh, Royce White and TJ Moe is in studio with me today. Round of applause. Uh, but Royce White's going to join TJ and I. Royce is going to listen to the interview with Vivek, and, and then we'll react to the interview with Vivek, and then we'll talk a little bit about Tucker Carlson reemerged on Twitter last night with his first episode of Tucker on Twitter. So fantastic, awesome show uh, planned for you guys today. But before we bring on Vivek, because uh, before I get too distracted, I want to take care of somebody very important, a group and a company that has been helping me and should be a great asset for you guys. Covenant Eyes. James 5 and 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What we're talking about is accountability. And that's where Covenant Eyes steps in. If you're like me and you've had issues with sexual lust, and, and you need help and discipline with your devices, your phone, your laptop, any of that, Covenant Eyes gives you the accountability, an accountability partner, something you can hook up to your devices that will keep you accountable and keep you out of the places you don't need to be, the places trying to draw you back in to your sexual lust and sexual sin. I've got it on my laptop. I've got it on my Patriot mobile cell phone. I've got it. I use it. It's all about tracking your activity on your advices. The Victory app shares your activity feed right to your ally. You get to choose an ally, someone that holds you accountable. When you allow someone to see how you're using your devices, it changes how you use them. Together, these powerful tools bring honesty and transparency to your accountability relationships. For just $17 a month or $184 annually, covers you up to 10 users on unlimited devices. Use my promo code FEARLESS for a free 30-day trial. The superhighway for information. The internet needs a seatbelt. Coveted Eyes protects you, your family, your relationship with God, and all the other travelers. Surf smart, buckle up with Covenant Eyes. So as promised, we're going to be joined by a Republican presidential candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Vivek, uh, let's start with a real softball. Did I pronounce your last name properly? You did get my last name correct, Ramaswamy. The first name is Vivek, like cake. Oh, Vivek. All right, yeah, Vivek, you got it. like cake, got you. 
All right, uh, Vivek, Vivek, <laughs> Mr. Ramaswamy, uh, I was told this morning, I didn't know this, you're from Cincinnati, you grew up in Cincinnati, my brother lives in Cincinnati, I grew up in Indianapolis, loved Kings Island as a kid, but there's one Amazing. thing about Cincinnati, yeah, one thing about Cincinnati I absolutely hate, and so my whole support of you may ride on this question. Skyline Chili. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Skyline's a thumbs up. Uh, Gold Star is a double <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Vivi, trust me, I'm twice your size. I know food. Skyline <laughs> Chili is awful. Uh, but oh. I'm going to let you slide on... It's all. That's good. Well, I, I, you know, we, we got to have national unity here. We gotta have, we, we're, we're reuniting a country, <laughs> so it starts, it starts today. <laughs> Vivek, why are you running for president? So I just think, Jason, we're in the middle of this national identity crisis. I'm the first millennial ever to run for the GOP nomination for president. And I'll tell you something about my generation. We're hungry for a cause. We're hungry for purpose and meaning and identity at a point in our national history when the things that used to fill that void, faith, patriotism, hard work, family, these things have disappeared only to be replaced by wokeness, transgenderism, the climate cult, covidism, the list goes on. And I'm running for president, not just to run from something anymore. We're going to start running to something our vision of what it actually means to be an American today. Answer that question, then we can address our economic challenges and our foreign policy challenges. But we need to unapologetically embrace who we really are as a country, and that's gonna be our path forward, and that's what I'm looking to lead. That's something we talk a lot about on this show, and we come at it from a biblical worldview. I, I believe this show believes in America's Judeo-Christian founding. You and your family are Hindu. Is there synergy, because I hear you talk about faith a lot. Yep. Is there some synergy, overlap, between the Hindu faith and Christianity? More than synergy. The way I look at it is, I'm never gonna tell somebody something that's not true. I'm not a Christian, I'm a Hindu. But I was educated in Christian schools. I've read the Bible through and through many times. Our value set is the same. So yes, this country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. I share those values deeply, our family does. I was raised into a two-parent household with a focus on education and a focus on God that instilled those values in me. We pass those on to our children. A belief that we are all equal in the most important sense because we're equal in the eyes of God. That's every part of my tradition and upbringing as it is a Christian upbringing. The idea that we open our heart to the love of God because we experience the love of our family, that was a gift that I was given. That's the actual ultimate privilege. We hear that word bandied out around a lot. That's the ultimate privilege we can give our children as well. And so I think we share those values in common. But Jason, here's the deeper point. We live in a moment where even many self-professed Christians are afraid to talk about their faith, are apologetic in talking about being Christian or being a believer in God. I don't believe we have to apologize for that. I think this country was founded on the idea that we are one nation under God. And actually, I'm in a position, I'm a hardline defender of religious liberty and the encroachment on religious liberty that we see today. 
But when I'm leading that fight, nobody's going to call me. You better believe nobody's going to call me a Christian nationalist as I do it. So I'm able to stand for that agenda, I think, even more powerfully than many self-professed Christians who don't necessarily live their life according to those same values in the way that me and our family does, but also, more importantly, holding the line on actually making sure that we defend religious liberties, and not only religious liberties, but the founding ideals, including the Judeo-Christian values on which this country was founded, I'll do it without apology. You, you certainly do. And I've, I've seen you in other interviews, and it's, it's always struck me that you seem stronger on this issue than even Donald Trump, uh, because you know how to put the argument together. I, I think people kind of take it on faith that he believes those same things. But, but there are also people like myself that notice that you're not critical of Donald Trump, you're more critical of Ron DeSantis, and it makes me think that perhaps your real end game is to be a running mate for Donald Trump? That's not accurate, <laughs> but, I, but I appreciate you airing any question, because uh, if you're gonna run for president, you better be able to address every question that people have. I'm running to defeat Trump and then to defeat Biden on the path to leading this country to a national revival. Jason, think about it. Put yourself in my shoes. You don't, I have two kids at home, a three-year-old and an 11-month-old. We've lived the full arc of the American dream. I've written three books in the last year and a half to two years, shaping the conversation in this country, starting new businesses, living a great life. We've put an eight-figure sum of our own family's money, hard-earned, not inherited, already into this campaign. We're going to stop at nothing. You don't make that kind of sacrifice unless you actually want to go the distance for this country. My wife's a surgeon, comes away from her job, saving lives on the campaign trail. We're serious about driving a national revival. Now, here's the reality, though. I do think that in the presidency, we need an outsider. I think it's going to become the tradition of the Republican Party to be the party of the outsider. I don't think professional politicians can get that job done of tackling and dismantling the administrative state declaring independence from China, reviving civic pride in this country if you're tied up by what your donors actually tell you to say. So I'm passionate about making sure that we declare independence of our donor class in the Republican Party. That's one of the things that bothers me the most about our electoral system, even about the Republican Party itself. And so in the first phase of this campaign, I'm very focused on making sure that we're speaking truth independent of those donor interests. And I will say one of the things that I share in common with Trump, at least the 2015 version of Trump, is that we weren't beholden to those donor interests. That being said, I believe I'm in this race to take the America first agenda far further than Donald Trump did. I'm not apologizing about saying that. I don't hedge on that either. I think we go further with our own agenda if we're doing it based on first principles and moral authority, not just vengeance and grievance. And so I'm actually, I've probably drawn more contrast from Trump than DeSantis has openly drawn from Trump. Although I do think that there are certain people in this race who are uh, thin skinned, let's just call it when it comes to criticism and will come up with every explanation they can to deflect on it. My view, though, is I'm not running to attack either Trump or DeSantis or anybody else. I'm running for what it means to be an American. As I said earlier, we are running to something. That's why I'm in the race. What you just said is powerful and interesting and provocative. You basically just spelled out that you will have the moral authority to do more than what Donald Trump's moral authority allows him. 
That's fascinating, and that's certainly one uh, talking point you could say would, would be an advantage for you. Are there others? Why would you? I, I'm someone, just in all transparency, I, I hated all politicians. Trump yeah, is the only you. one that's ever interested me because he's not a politician. You interest me. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. interests me because you guys have been disconnected from politics. But are there other reasons why you feel like you would be a better candidate than Donald Trump? Well, I think one reason why is I think I'm closer to Trump in 2015 than Trump today is to Trump in 2015. Because you get to be an outsider once. We're all human beings. This is not a criticism of Trump. It's just a fact that we're human. I won't be the same person eight years from now, Jason, if I win the presidency, that I am today, just as Trump isn't the same person that he was eight years ago. It's just how it works, right? And so, by definition, he has been a politician for the last eight years. You go to drain the swamp, I'm sure the swamp drains part of you. That's just how that game works. But this time around, I'm the one that has fresh legs. I'm 37 years old. I was born in 1985. Trump and Biden are each over half my age, over double my age. I'm less than half each of their age. And I've got fresh legs. I'm not yet tired and jaded and cynical and defeated. I, maybe I will be years from now, but that's not where I am today. I've got fresh legs, fresh motivation. I have a clear conviction that we're still on our way up. I would like to hope that where I am in my life is the best peak is still yet ahead of me, that I'm not in decline. I'm in my ascent. But I see the nation the same way. And I think the position I'm in allows me to see our nation that way, that we're not a nation in decline, but that we can be a nation still in our ascent. And so I think that's something different, too. I, 40 years from now, if I'm elected in 2024, maybe even eight or 10 years from now, I won't be the same person. But that's who I am ready today, today to take that on in a certain way that Trump was in 2015, too. But I think you get to be an outsider once and I'm the outsider in this race. You're just 37 years old. How do you convince people that you've lived long enough and experienced enough to lead the entire nation? Well, look, you actually put a pretty fine point on it there. Lead the entire nation. Let's think about the next generation of Americans. They have lost their sense of civic pride. Less than 16% of Gen Z says they're even proud to be an American, Jason. That's a problem. We have a 25% recruitment deficit in our military. There's actually a recent survey just a month ago that said that a majority, I think it was 60% of young Americans, would sooner give up their right to vote than to give up their access to TikTok. I'm not making that up. This is a deep problem, and I don't think anyone else is able to reach that next generation in the way that I am. It's not just because I'm younger. It's because I'm showing up in the places where Republican politicians traditionally refuse to go. I've been to the south side of Chicago in the last month. I don't think a Republican politician, I don't think a Democratic politician at the national level has set foot there in a very long time. I don't think that other candidates are going to college campuses in the way that I am. I show up on the other side set. I defeat them. Chuck Todd on NBC. You talk about Don Lemon on CNN. I was on ABC's Sunday show speaking truth about the Ukraine war that even other Republicans are afraid to say out loud. That's something that actually young people respect. But I think, you know what, if I was 20 years from now, maybe I would have some more experience than I do today. I have to admit that we all gain experience in life. 
But I wouldn't be as well positioned as I am to reach all Americans, especially the next generation, as I am somebody who's coming in with, yes, the voice of a millennial, but in the Republican Party, speaking out against the establishment with authenticity. I'll tell you, I haven't uh, been sitting around for the last 20 years of my life either. I've lived the full arc of the American dream. I've built multi-billion dollar businesses, multiple of them, from scratch. I was not born into wealth. My parents came to this country with almost no money. I've now not only built multi-billion dollar companies, written best-selling books, I've lived the full arc of the American dream. I'm proud of that. And I have two kids. I have, we have a, I'm married to my first wife and I plan to keep it that way for the rest of my life. I wanna look my two sons in the eye and tell them without wincing, without holding my nose, that I want you to grow up to be like him, whoever that is that sits in the White House. And Jason, I think if we're being honest, it's been a long time since we've had a president who we could look our kids in the eye and tell them that in good conscience. That's the standard that I want you and the rest of the American people to hold me to when I'm in that White House. And I think doing it as a 37 year old, but who is making concepts like family cool again, faith cool again. These aren't old school talking points that the Republican Party foists on us. We live our life that way. We live our life authentically. We don't just practice what we preach. I'm also ready to preach what we practice in our lives. And I think that that's something that being a little bit younger, being a little bit different as a first generation American, I think that positions me to better reach more of this country with that message. And I take that as part of my responsibility as the young person in this race to do as well. And so we went, we watched what happened with Donald Trump, outsider, wins the presidency, the whole uniparty, corporate machine, everybody hates Donald Trump, tries to destroy him. But let's go back 60 years. John Kennedy becomes president and starts pushing the wrong buttons and ends up dead. Do you know what you're potentially getting yourself into? You're, you're, you're an outsider that asks the wrong questions and we seem so controlled by our surveillance agencies and their alliance with corporate media. Do you know, I mean, you're taking great risk here. I'm sure you're aware of that. Have you thought all these things through? Obviously you have, but walk us through it a little bit. Well, it's not, a, it's not a commitment we make lightly. My wife and I understand that this will involve deep personal sacrifice for both of us and for our family. But it's like both of our parents taught us. You can make a sacrifice if you know what you're sacrificing for. That's this thing we call America. It is a vision of what this place can be, a country that has given us so much. What are we doing in life if we don't actually give back to that same country for the next generation. I think there's more to life than the aimless passage of time. I think that there's a point to this. We're guided by purpose. And when you're guided by that sense of purpose, Jason, I don't know, there's something in my heart that just tells me nothing's gonna stop you. If you're guided by vengeance and grievance or personal ambition or ego, then yes, I think those things can limit you. But this is part of where my faith comes back. It's not being done by us. I strongly believe it. I think it is being done through us. I have faith in that. We're guided by a purpose. So when you view it that way, I don't know, it's just liberating. I feel like we are free to do the right thing. I don't think anyone's gonna stop us because that wasn't even our story to write. I think it's being written by a higher power. We're the instruments that carry it out. And so, you know, I, do, will that make me more successful at taking on the deep state? 
I think so. <laughs> I strongly think so. Will they strike back? Absolutely. Am I going to make it as easy for them to come for me as Donald Trump did? Absolutely not. That's the way we live our life accordingly with our principles. But it's not that I have every map of every risk that I'm going to face. By definition, it's going to be unknown. I mean, that's a morass that we're aiming to tackle. But I think if we're guided by the higher purpose and a belief and a conviction and a faith that there is a higher power guiding us through it, then I think we're going to get through it just fine. And I have confidence in that. And a poor of my wife has confidence in that. And that's the faith that guides us to jump into this journey. Vivek, I was introduced to you uh, through your appearances on Tucker Carlson's show. Uh, Tucker Carlson last night did his first episode of Tucker on Twitter. And he basically, his point was, hey, here's the things corporate media isn't talking about that we should be talking about. And it was, you know, he went in on the Ukraine war and, and the whole thing and Zelensky. What is the primary issue in your mind that perhaps isn't getting enough attention as we debate frivolous things? What, what's, what's the number one issue that you would like to see addressed if you're president and you'd like to see the nation addressed? What's our biggest threat? I'll give you one in the domestic stage. I'll give you one in the foreign policy stage. Domestically, the administrative state at home. We have three branches of this country, not four. Yet in practice, we actually, it's the fourth branch, the administrative state, the managerial class, the regulatory state that wields all the power, the people who we didn't elect. So by the time I'm done with my presidency, I can promise you this, the people who we elect to run the government will at least be the ones who actually run the government rather than the unelected bureaucratic class today. And I think that is the single greatest threat to liberty and prosperity and the economy and self-governance in our country. I'm prepared to address it. Let me it. stop you there. I want, yep. you to go, I want you to go an inch deeper because, and I'm gonna tell you why, is because Royce White is, he comes on this show, NBA player, former NBA player, really thoughtful guy. He's tight with Steve Bannon and Alex Jones. And so when he, start, when he, he constantly comes on this show and has gotten me convinced and our audience convinced when we talk about who's running the country, it's the Federal Reserve. Are, are you willing to challenge the Federal Reserve? When we talk about unelected officials that have oh, yeah. outsized influence on America, are you talking about the Federal Reserve? They're a big part of it, absolutely. I mean, there's the FBI, there's other components to this too. I've said I've shut down the FBI, but in the Federal Reserve, it's a big part of it. So I'm the only candidate Jason, that's actually offered a meaningful plan. I wrote about it in the pages of the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere. 90% plus headcount reduction at the U.S. Fed. More than 23,000 employees working in that managerial rot. There will be less than 1,000, actually, is the what I need for them to perform a clerical function. Stabilize the U.S. dollar as a unit of measurement, period. I don't need you doing a darn thing more than that. Stop playing financial God or claiming to balancing inflation and unemployment. It has proven to be a disastrous 25 plus year experiment with the managerial class infesting that U.S. Federal Reserve System, raining money from on high like mana from heaven to a bunch of cocaine addicts who keep asking for more. That's us, the people tricked into submission. <clears throat> now they've turned off the artificial snow machine. We forgot how to ski. So I could talk about this at length as to how they've actually been an impediment to economic growth, how they've been an impediment to wage growth in this country, pretending that wage growth is a leading indicator of inflation, tightening monetary policy, 
when in fact wage growth is the last thing to go up in a business cycle, which means they tighten monetary policy directly into a downturn in the business cycle, which is the formula for creating a financial crisis, which in turn is the formula for creating a bailout, which in turn is the formula for creating government control of our society. So I understand this more deeply than most. I discussed the 2008 financial crisis and its causes at length in my book, Woke Inc. That led to the rise of the woke industrial and ESG industrial complex in America. I actually got my first job at a hedge fund in New York City in the fall of 2007 on the eve of that 08 crisis. So I had a front row seat to this. I understand this more deeply than the professional politician. I've lived it, but I'm also unafraid to speak about it. And I'm the only serious candidate in this race, actually, with a plan to take it on. And believe me, I've got I'm not constrained by any donor class interest or otherwise funded this with my own money precisely to avoid ringing a tin can, carrying a hat in hand, asking a bunch of people for permission to run. Forget that. I'm in this to do the right thing. And the reform reform is an understatement. The gutting of the U.S. Fed is a core part of what I'm going to deliver. So I want you to talk about the foreign issue, but, yes. but I, I want to follow up with one, and we'll end with you talking about the foreign issue, but I just want to follow up on, on one thing. I just want you to clarify or expound some more. When we talk about ESG and mm-hmm. corporate uh, CEI and, and all the DEI, all the corporate initiatives that are being rained down on America, promoting the LGBTQ, to yep. pro- promoting all the uh, identity politics and the racial division that's going on. How do we get that under control where we get back to being a meritocracy? Well, I think there are governmental solutions. I've actually called for ending, for example, Lyndon Johnson's executive order 11246, the executive order he signed that effectively mandated race-based preferences in the private sector. How did they do it? They said, if you're going to do business with the federal government, you have to then adopt these race and gender and now sexuality-based quota systems. Well, I reject that vision. And I've actually pressed even Trump's team on why they didn't do it. I'll tell you what they told me. They said, that was not a political hill that we wanted to die on. I understand it's a politically fraught issue, but that's why I said it, Jason. You go further. We go further when we're doing it based on first principles and moral authority not just vengeance and grievance. I'll take a pen and cross that out. I mean, there's a lot else we can do. I've talked about these solutions extensively in Woke Inc., in Nation of Victims, using the civil rights laws even-handedly. The civil rights laws say that you can't discriminate based on religion. Well, there's an interesting factor there. Turns out that wokeism and the DEI agenda in most of corporate America actually meets the Supreme Court's test for what counts as a religion. It's a comprehensive belief system, certain words you can't say, clothes you can't wear. I I go through this in detail in some of the scholarship I've produced in the last few years, the books I've written. Well, guess what? I'll instruct our Department of Justice to then say that just like people are sued for saying they can't force their employees to bow down to a cross, well, now what they're actually forcing them to bow down to is this new woke DEI orthodoxy that meets the Supreme Court's test for what counts as a violation under the Civil Rights Acts. So I'll apply those civil rights laws even-handedly if that's what it comes to. So I could go on. I have, I believe political expression should be a civil right in our country, just like the other protected classes. But that's the top-down part, Jason. The bottom-up part's more important. We need to satisfy the hunger for cause and purpose and meaning amongst young people in this country. Revive civic education. I've actually gone further to say that I would support a constitutional amendment 
that raises the voting age from 18 to 25, but still allows you to vote at 18. If you either serve the country or else at least pass the same civics test that every immigrant has to pass in order to become a voting citizen too. You gotta have skin in the game to appreciate what the game is all about. You gotta have a stake in creating the country that satisfies our hunger for civic meaning. So I'm thinking big, Jason. It's not small ball here. We're gonna do it through symptomatic therapies, like ending affirmative action and the DEI agenda. But a lot of this is gonna have to be bottom up, reviving civic pride, national pride, national identity, reviving the sense of self itself, the things that actually give us meaning. That's what a big part of through my example I'm hoping to set as well from the White House on down, like Reagan did in 1980. That's what I think we can do in 2024. And just as Reagan delivered a landslide in 1980, I think we can do the same thing. A lot of these concepts you and I are talking about, these go well beyond political partisanship. It's one of the things I love about you is you're not a partisan hack. You care about the country, first principles and ideas. I'm the same way. I'm just using the Republican Party as a vehicle to advance my vision of what I call the George Washington America First agenda. He was the real OG of America First. And that actually leads to some of my views on foreign policy as well. Avoid foreign entanglements. Instead, put our national interests first on the national and global stage. But that's what guides my vision is the same principles that won the American Revolution. Those are the principles that I'm reviving in our modern country. I'm a George Washington America First conservative, and I won't apologize for it. Finish up by making your point about what should be our number one foreign policy initiative, and we'll let you go and thank you for the time. Well, I said there's a couple things I'll do. January 2033, when I'm done with the presidency, we'll have three branches of government, not four. I will have shut down the administrative state, including gutting the Federal Reserve. But in the global stage, the thing I'll be saying when I leave office is that we will have declared independence from China. We will no longer be dependent on our enemy for our modern way of life. That's different than the Cold War. We never depended on the USSR for the shoes on our feet or the phones in our pockets. We depend on our enemy today for the way we live our lives, and I think that's a problem. How am I gonna do it? Well, look, I think that a big part of this is we have to be willing to not only onshore to the United States, but rely on Japan, South Korea, India, Southeast Asia, Australia, if we're really serious about declaring independence from China, it's going to be all of the above, onshoring first, but where we can't, using other Pacific and even South American allies as well. But if we're declaring independence from China, that puts us in a strong footing where we no longer have to bend the knee to a foreign autocrat. That was the American Revolution's vision. We don't bend the knee to some foreign autocrat that we depend on. We do it our way here at home. I also think that it's a misplaced priority to send further U.S. military resources to Ukraine. To the contrary, I've said that I would end the Ukraine war with a peace treaty. Yes, a peace treaty with Russia that says, you know what? They freeze the current lines of control. They get the Donbass region. I would say that NATO should never admit Ukraine. I think NATO expansionism is a disaster. But I also think that in return, I want to get something out of it for the U.S., which is that Russia exits its military alliance with China. That takes us from a bilateral international order that favors China to a trilateral international order where none of the three major nuclear superpowers are allied with one another. That's better for the world, but more importantly, what I care about, it's better for the United States of America. And that's what it means to put our national interests first, not using our military to fight somebody else's border, somebody else in God knows where, but to use our own military 
to secure our own southern border, which, by the way, I'll do. A nation without borders is not a nation, and I will govern accordingly, putting our interests and the interests of Americans here on American soil first. That's also how we lead in the world, by showing the rest of the world that when a free country prospers like we do, that's exactly the example that we set for everybody else to have hope as well. I fudged the truth. I just want a yes or no, and then I'm, I'm gone. Could you ever see America leaving NATO? I would love to see that. The answer is yes. I could see it. And I think that when an institution has outlived its purpose, well, it's time to reevaluate the purpose of that institution. Something should be task forces sometimes rather than permanent bodies. And that's the way I view these multilateral agencies internationally or domestically here at home. Vivek, thank you so much for the time. I, I, I'm going to just, I just want to hear more. What I heard, I love. I just want to hear more. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, my man. Appreciate it. That's uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, TJ, that, I, I want to hear more. I, I leave this interview, I, I want to hear more from Vivek. His last point I think is most interesting, <clears throat> to stop making these permanent uh, alliances and start making task forces. As Tucker was talking about this, he, he said Trump is the one who opened his eyes to that. He's like, hey, what's the point of NATO? He's like, I'd never thought of that. NATO served its purpose when the Soviet Union was finished. Now what? What are we doing? So anybody like Vivek, who's willing to question the prevailing narrative, I can get on board with that. I want to hear more. Can't wait to hear Royce's take. Give me a second and we'll get to Royce and we'll expound TJ and I and Royce White. Uh, we'll hear some more. We'll have some more thoughts on our takeaway from, is that, yeah, that's our first presidential candidate on, on the show. So far. Uh, so far. Vivek did a nice job. Uh, well, technically, we had Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Oh, that's right. We had Robert, yeah, but we were talking about COVID then. Yep. Oh, but anyway, uh, I want to tell you guys about a brand new partner we have that is awesome. I have the product in my home. I placed the product. I gave it to my mother. She loves it. Naturally, it's clean, provides effective cleaning products using powerful plant-based enzymes. These are hospital-grade solutions that won't reek of nasty chemicals. I've done it. I've used it myself. You can get a medical grade clean without any nasty smell. It, it's eco-friendly carpet stain remover on the market today. It is the best, cleans your kitchen, cleans your bathroom, cleans everything. I personally love these products. I love everything. I love the most that everything is, is manufactured right here in the USFA and that they offer free two-day shipping on all cleaning kits. Their essential starter kit, which features four of their most popular products in one of their top selling items, my audience can get an additional 15% off for a limited time by visiting naturallyitsclean.com fearless. Keep your home clean and support companies like Naturally It's Clean while you do it because they support you and your conservative values. Please check them out today and get your Jason's Essential Starter Kit by visiting naturallyclean.com fearless. I told you guys this last week, when Fisher, the founder of this company, came to Nashville, we sat down and talked for an hour. He shares our values and views. He's one of us. His product is outstanding. Ali Bestucky, for those of you, again, cleaning products, because I'm a bachelor, I still buy them myself and use them myself. Some of you guys, that some of you fearless owners, and I know we got women out in the audience, but this is predominantly a male audience. Maybe cleaning deal, 
cleaning products aren't your area of uh, expertise or specialty, tell your wife, tell your girlfriend, tell your mom, tell your maid, tell whomever you want naturally it's clean in your house because you want to support, you want it because it's the best and also because this company supports us and our values. Naturallyitsclean.com slash fearless. Go support this guy. Met him personally. He's one of us. He shares our values. His product is absolutely excellent. Ali Bestucky, if you don't want to take my word for it, you're a lady out there listening or you're a guy, you'd rather hear from a lady. Ali Bestucky, all over this stuff, been supporting it for a long time, been using it in her home. It is awesome. Uh, Naturallyisclean.com slash fearless. Go do it. Send me an email about it. You can email me at fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Love when you guys, when you support our sponsors, you're supporting me and this show. You're supporting our values. Go do it. All right, Royce White. Next. It's my obligation to hate discrimination. Raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Time for some uh, Royce White uh, to join TJ and I as we try to uh, reflect on the 30-minute interview we just had with uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, who's running for the uh, Republican presidential uh, nomination. Uh, I leave that interview, as I just said to you all, just wanting to hear more. Uh, I was impressed. I wish... I'm gonna, I'm gonna have him put on the approval rating app so I could go through my approval score and see how, uh, <laughs> how I really feel about Vivek, but I liked him. Royce, uh, what did you think? Uh, I like what he has to say. Yeah, great, for sure. I mean, it's almost a pitch perfect uh, message of, of America first, uh, you know, foreign policy, domestic policy. I don't trust him. I mean, that's just that's just what it is. I don't trust it. And I think everybody should have that healthy, healthy level of skepticism towards their their politicians. And I'm not saying that that's a final destination on them. I want to hear more just like you do. But ultimately, I think I want to see, you know, it, it, it's it's different to talk about these things and running for a race and then to have um, the guys in the black suit, suits come sit around you and tell you, hey, kid, this is how things really work. Uh, and I think Donald Trump has has been in that position. Um, and, and I think that he's folded sometimes in that position and other times he's, he's handled it well. Uh, the, the thing about Donald Trump again, that I don't like, I don't like for people to use even Vivek is like, I'm the more moral version of Donald Trump. Um, we've, we've all, we've all contributed in building an immoral society and there are going to be people who have to make very tough decisions, have to answer very tough questions and do things that that seem um, radical, extreme in order to change what we what we have here. Like there is no there is no uh, there is going to be no clean path to deconstructing the, the administrative state or the military industrial complex. You know, that that's just that's like I just don't be- believe that that's possible. Now, I'm not precluding miracles. I just think that you need somebody in the seat who's who's been there, who's seen it who understands all of the levers. Uh, Vivek is somebody who could definitely probably help Donald Trump. He'd be a strong VP candidate, in my opinion, for sure. Um, but as far as being the guy, I don't know. 
What do you think of his argument, Royce, you first, then TJ, you follow in, that, hey, you only get to be an outsider once, and Donald Trump was an outsider, and now he's a bit of an insider? Well, I think, n- number one, it can work against you and, and work for you. Um, it, my thing is, you know, <laughs> who's seen all the black, who's seen all the, uh, the classified material? Who sat in the military strategy meeting with the Joints of Chiefs? Who actually knows about the nuclear arsenal? Who who knows all the, I mean, there's this whole uh, onboarding process that happened. Yeah, absolutely, Joe Biden has seen it. Donald Trump has seen it. Uh, so the, being in the seat and being an insider offers certain insight that an outsider just can't possibly have as a matter of security clearance. And that's something that any real uh, presidential candidates should talk about and address in, in their platform and, and pitch into the American people the, the level of security and secrecy of our government alone. But as it stands right now today, that won't change before 24. Donald Trump has an insider loop on the most pertinent institutions in, in this country. Um, and, and Vivek wouldn't have that. Not to say he couldn't be initiated or there's not somebody who could counsel him or advise him on that. Uh, he just doesn't have that that personal experience, which would mean he would be relying on somebody else's word and that that person could easily be compromised or or be meant to manipulate Vivek in his initiation into the office. These are things I think about. I'm not saying it one way or another. I'm just laying out laying laying it out from my from my viewpoint. There are. I think Royce is right. There are pros and cons to being the outsider, and we saw all of the cons with Trump. He came in and didn't have enough friends to fill all of the positions, so the swamp stayed full. And one person after the next became a traitor, and they sabotaged his whole presidency. We spent three years talking about Russia. You know, it's like, and, and it, it's pretty normal to go through, um, you know, chief of staff. I think Obama went through three. It, it's it's pretty normal, but. Half of his surrounding people were working against him his entire presidency. And so at this point, Trump probably has the upper hand. And can you be an insider if you've spent four years in government your whole life? Joe Biden's at like 44 years or 84 years, whatever he is at this point. He's way up there. And so Trump's still a bit of an outsider. Certainly, if it depends on how you would classify outsider, because He's not embraced by any of the insiders. Definitionally, doesn't that make you an outsider? And so I, I kind of do consider Trump uh, an outsider still at this point. The only other thing that I would say that I was impressed with Vivek, he indirectly attacked Trump for the first time. My, I have a criticism of Vivek that the, I had thought the same thing you did. He's not super serious about this. If he's not willing to go at the champ. And thus far, he's been willing to go at DeSantis hard and had nothing to say about Trump. But I think he, he was sort of offended when you asked that question. Um, and I liked that about him because a lot of people would just say, oh, no, I want to be president. But, but he said, uh, that's inaccurate. But I like that you asked the question because I'm going to have to answer everything. And then he stood up, gave it an answer, and then went on to say, hey, I'm going to go further than Trump has the balls to go with this America first thing. And I thought that for the first time, that was an indirect attack at Trump that I haven't seen him do yet. Well, and he said he's going to go further because he has the moral authority to. And that, and then he went on to say that uh, he won't be as easy to smear as Trump was. I think, and I'm sure Royce would agree with this, I think that's naive. Yeah. Royce? 
Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I like this guy. I mean, I like what he has to say. I, I think he's he's flushed out the ideas. He's firm on his position. I believe that he believes in his position. I do believe there's a naivety about him that is, uh, uh, you know, jovial and 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 youthful and and all of the things that that are advantages for him in in the in the in the campaign and the election and and ultimately even if he was able to serve the American people. This entire administration, this entire establishment, this entire liberal world world order that exists was instituted by boomers. And you're going to have to step up to the plate and really bring a hammer and and a knife and a gun in order in order to defeat it. Uh, And he doesn't seem to have that mentality just on face value. It's like he actually he actually accepts the presumption that if Donald Trump didn't have a flawed moral character, they wouldn't just make the shit up. They would just make the shit up if they had to. Okay, so it's and that isn't even that isn't harder or Brett easier. Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I mean, pick one. They it, look when when. No, when no they, yeah, when I'm, they, I'm just saying, Brett Kavanaugh. They, they oh, when you were 13, Brett, you played footsie with some girl at a beer party. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know, Mitt Romney was going to put y'all back in chains. I was told right. by Joe Biden himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I mean. When it, when, it, when it, they. Uh, I like to think when, of myself as living. You know, it's hard to impunge my character, my honesty and things, but people do it constantly. I'm, I'm one of the worst people on the planet, according to some people. And, you know, other than hanging out at strip clubs, I, I don't know, you know, I smoked a little weed occasionally when I was young. <laughs> I don't know what they got on me, but. Let me play devil's advocate for both you guys, because I, I, I agree with you here, but to, to give another perspective. Do you think a, a person like Vivek can give cover to the voters who just can't justify in their heads voting for somebody with Trump's character. It's, it's less about what they'll do to you, but it's like at least with Obama, they could say, look, he's a married guy with two kids, been married one time, don't have any stories on the guy. And with Trump, it's just like, hold your nose and vote for him. This is what all the suburban white women are saying right now. Hold your vote, because I can't defend him out there. And so. Could his moral character, at least to this point, what he's trying to put out there, give cover to the people who want to say that I think, you know, we can vote for. Okay, okay, I love the point. And from a from a political strategy standpoint, maybe, maybe, absolutely, uh, possibly. Hell no, of course not. All at the same time. And we were talking about the American populace. Who knows what these people are thinking on a daily basis? They're being brainwashed. They're being brainwashed by the by the media industrial complex and everybody up and down the line. But but the thing I like most about what Vivek said, uh, the thing that stood out the most is this idea of bottom up change. Right. And that the bottom up change has to come with this restitution, this this renaissance of national pride, national honor. And what we talk about on the show as sacred honor, um, sacred honor, a, a nation that is going to be rebuilt, redefined by an uh, uh, an influx, uh, a renaissance of sacred honor can't be built on shoddy, shoddy electoral politics or, or shoddy electoral political strategy, right? If the American people are only going to vote for Donald Trump because Vivek is providing cover, that's like some marketing scheme. Now, they need to understand that they are going to have to sacrifice certain things in their political participation given the wider issue that we face. And if they don't understand that wider issue, if they don't understand why they're giving up or conceding certain things for certain candidates in in respect to the bigger problem, then we still have the same problem. 
I mean, Donald Trump's only going to have four more years and we'll be in this four years later. So the, the American people have to understand what Vivek was talking about fundamentally from an issue standpoint and get away. And, and I think from a from a strategy standpoint, it's not it, if I was advising Vivek, it is not a good strategy to take the moral high ground when we live in a brainwashed society that can make anything up about you that they want. That's not a good place for him to to, to st- stake a flag against Donald Trump. Just talk about the issues. Just talk about the issues. Don't make it a personality contest, contest because we can't both have a, a, a renaissance of sacred honor and, and national honor and have it be a personality contest. Let's just get the personality contest out of it altogether. I would I would I would uh, vote for that. I, I hear your point and somewhat, I, I'm going to have to think about that, Royce. I think it's a great point. It, it, it's, I'm going to have to, I got to think more about that. But, but, but I will say I've lived long enough and seen enough that, take, take Clarence Thomas, you know, they have made the argument that he's not black. And, and, and this man, to a T, from the South, raised by his grandfather and grandparents, came from poverty, uh, in college was a black nationalist and, you know, militant and on the whole blah, blah, blah. First wife, black woman, uh, all of this. And they say, oh, he's out, he, you know, he's basically a white person. And so if they can do that, because, again, if you watch Clarence Thomas documentary, man, I mean, it's a great documentary. Mm -hmm. And they have convinced the American public that this dude has nothing to do with black people. And so they can do anything. And then the other thing I would and again, I'm telling you, I like Vivek. Uh, I want to hear more from him. He's an interesting guy. Uh, I'm telling you, I really was impressed with him. But there were some things that I thought, you know, he's 37, he's naive. And this is the thing that, that scares me about Ron DeSantis and uh, Vivek. And, and I think it's part of the reason why the, these 80-year-old candidates are around. Anybody that has young kids in this era, because th- this thing has gotten so wild, wild west, Kids are not off limits. You know, it's like the mafia, you know, wives and kids, you leave them out of it and blah, blah, blah. We don't have that anymore. And people will attack, destroy, kill, sexualize. We we just look. These same people that want to abort babies in the womb, these same people that want to sexualize your kids at three, four, five, and six, they want to take them off to Epstein Island. These people will do anything. And so anybody that's going into a position of leadership that still has kids in their home, young kids in their home, I just think they're, they're vulnerable uh, b- because the enemy, the other side, is just so ruthless that there just aren't. And so Vivek could have lived a very proper life or whatever, but if they're willing to attack your wife and kids, if they're will- does it really matter how perfect you live? Because th- th- these, these people know no limits to what they're willing to do. Baron Trump was 10 when Trump ran. So he did have a young kid mm. and Melania has been abused, obviously. It's yeah. like 
ever. So Trump hasn't cared and he's made it through. Trump has been bulletproof because he's figured out the magic potion to not getting canceled is to never apologize and never admit anything. Right. And so that that seems to be the attitude. Anybody who's willing to double down, you can't cancel Tucker Carlson. He just doubles down on everything and he keeps popping up. And yesterday he got 70 million videos on a 10 minute monologue. So I, I, you know, the, the one thing I'd say about the, the morality thing, and again, I, I actually want to, I think word for word, what Roy said, I agree with. Let's just get rid of it. However, there, it, the left has been playing this game for 50, 100 years, and the game is this. Yes, it's a terrible idea, but morally it's the right thing to do, and they get half the country to vote for them based on those terms. So there is a game of morality politically that I think what Vivek is saying needs to be played. Like, can't we have the good idea and show that it's morally good? And can't I just say I am a, a morally good per person compared to the opposition? Like, you know, half the country at this point is convinced that Joe Biden's a pedophile. And he's showering with his 12-year-old daughter. And you can stack up and say, hey, I'm a family man. I got two kids. I'm 37 years old. and I live the American dream. And they're like, isn't that just an, an additive to the good resume that I already have? Royce? Um, well, number one, I don't like that people use the Joe Biden showering with this. I don't like any time we take all of the claims the left has waged against our political uh, you know, uh, uh, candidates or our thought leaders or whoever and try and use them back on them. That whole tit, I said it before on the show, that whole tit for tat is corny to me. It's corny and it shows that a lot of the people in the conservative movement uh, have a failure of, of courageousness and fortitude in their positions. Like we have to, you know, like we have, like Joe Biden has to be a pedophile in order for him to be an illegitimate president. Give me a break. I don't believe his daughter any more than I believe him. And I don't believe his wife and I don't believe his auntie and them. And I don't believe his, his babysitter from third grade. I don't believe anybody connected to him because these people are corrupt and they pay and they blackmail. And the whole thing is a complete pit of misinformation and lies and deceit. I don't believe anything about them. But that's all I need to know. I don't make, need to make Joe Biden a pedophile to say he's unelectable. The man fell down 10 times in, in 10 appearances as the president of the United States. He's not fit to be the president. He's not fit to be in charge of the nukes. So I don't like when people take the conversation to that place. Let's just talk about what's really going on. Let's just talk about what it really oh, is. Hold for one second, Royce. I, I agree with you, but to some degree, I think his morality does matter because some of this stuff off the political field right. impacts what he's doing on the political field. The guy's platforming and promoting Dylan Mulvaney is that no not partially because of his uh, no, 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 own? No, no, it's no. not. No, because whether or not he was a satanic, Luciferian, uh, bidding politician or not, he would still bow and promote the LGBTQ for political expediency. And that's what we have to understand. That's the, that's the needle we have to learn to thread with our critical thought. Yeah, he may be a sexual deviant and pervert, that's not beyond me to believe. In fact, I would tend to believe he probably is. But I don't need that to not vote for him. 
I don't need that to be the defining, uh, the the defining. Royce doesn't need it exactly. Royce and, doesn't I'm need say, it. But what, what about I'm saying the, is everybody this. else? What I'm saying is, if the American people continues to be caught up in those type of WWE politics, we're not going to have the bottom-up transformation of national honor and sacred honor and faith and religious and moral principles that Vivek is talking about. That that the, the two don't go together. You don't get to a place where you have a philosophical, a fundamental and philosophical rooted understanding and, and ethic that you live by, but it comes on the tail end of propaganda. Whether the propaganda is true or not. I don't want the propaganda. Don't give me the don't give me the, the you know the the stuff on the surface. Let's just get to the root of it. Joe Biden is a sellout. I don't care if he's gay, straight, lesbian, Christian, Muslim, uh, uh, Luciferian, Jew, doesn't matter. He's a sellout. And they come in all shapes and sizes. Good point, Royce. Uh, what did you think about Vivek on, I don't feel like, have we had presidents that are willing to talk, uh, I guess Ron Paul and Rand Paul probably talk about the Federal Reserve, but here's a Republican candidate for uh, the presidency that's willing to talk about reducing the influence of the Federal Reserve. What did you think of his answer on that? Yeah, I like everything Vivek had to say about the Federal Reserve. I think he understands the issue well. He laid it out uh, very, very well uh, in terms of how the corruption of, of the Fed works. Um, I think you should clip it. I think you should clip it and put it up so everybody else understands. Those are the real issues. How it works is the real issue. How the scam works how, is the real issue. How inflation has been predatory as an economic policy is the real issue. Uh, he did a great job. And I, I can't say enough about how much I like everything Vivek had to say. Uh, the question is, once he's in the seat, does he have the the, the spine to carry some of this stuff out? Uh, and, and if he does, here's the reality that the American people have to face. There are going to be a couple, the, the radical change we want to see, there are going to be a couple people that run for president and become and get elected president that actually start to try and change these things that get clipped. I mean, Vivek has to be ready for that right now, here today. The presidents that come sit in the seat in D.C. and they actually executive order that the Federal Reserve is a is a is a uh, a threat to our national security and the stability of our nation. That person's getting clipped. That person's going to have to have military guard 24 hours a day and he won't be able to go outside. This is the reality. So I do think that Vivek understands the issues. I think there are a lot of candidates that understand the issues. I think Donald Trump understands the issues. I think sometimes Trump tries to toe the line with what he can actually change. You know, what 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 change is um, strategically feasible at the time. And I would disagree with a lot of that. I, like I said on the show before, I don't think he went hard enough on China. On day one, if I was the president of the United States, there would be a 50% tax on anybody who deals with China, anybody who manufactures good in China. 50% tax on day one, and it would go up 5% every 30 days until it reached 100%, and then 200% until every single corporation in this country either fled China back to America or they went to go to China for good. I mean, there's things you could do. The, the, the reason Donald Trump didn't do them is because he watched Kennedy get his head blown off. I mean, he didn't watch it, but he was alive. Everybody who lives under this boomer world order, they know the consequences. They know the ramifications if you poke too hard. 
And so he's tried to do as best he could to toe the line and still survive. And, you know, now we're coming to a we're coming to a, a point where there's no there's no room left to finesse. And I hope Vivek understands that in any anybody else who's running for president, there's no finesse left in it. TJ, you first and then Roy's. How do you think he handled the Hindu question? And how do you think him being Hindu will play with evangelicals? Uh, you know, he certainly didn't dodge the question. And I, 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 he, he certainly answered it. I thought he answered it in a pretty compelling way. But I'm gonna have to do some research on the Hindu religion. Mm-hmm. But to, he, he, he's someone that talks about faith and values and Judeo-Christian values, it, you know, in a really strong way, more compelling way than Donald Trump. What do you think about that issue, his, his faith and how can, will people get comfortable? You know, Obama pretended to be a Christian mm-hmm. uh, to get elected. Yeah, I just pulled up the, according to the Pew Research Center, percentage of people that identify with each religion, Hindu is 0.7. So he's not gonna lean into that. 0.7% of people are like, yeah, you go, man. It's not gonna happen. 70% are Christian, and that's why virtually every president at this point, including Trump, including Obama, they all say they're Christians, whether they are or aren't or have any true faith. And so what he tried to do is marry the two and say, guys, my Hindu religion has the same value as yours. Please be comfortable with me. That's really all he said. And, and all he's really trying to get at is, I believe in God and I try to uphold those values because I'm a God-fearing man. And so, yes, it's not- Look this. at my life, he says. Yes. Look at how I've conducted my life. Yes, and, and right, judge a, judge a person by their fruits. That's, yeah. and so he's like, look at my fruit. I do fear God, different God than yours, but he can't lean into his Hindu faith because he, know most, he knows most Americans are uncomfortable with it. And I'll just be, to- this is fearless, I'm uncomfortable with it. You know, I, I don't, if you're not beholden to the same God that I am, and these are the, the Christian values that America was built on, I need to be able to hold you to that. Now, are we holding these presidents to anything? No, but just in my own comfort, when I'm casting a ballot, I wanna know this person at least says that he's beholden to these things and we can try to hold him to that. I don't know anything about Hindu, and most Americans don't. Royce? That doesn't bother me as much. And again, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a Catholic, I'm a Christian. Some some people would say that I'm not a Christian because I'm a Catholic. Some people would say that I would be unelectable because I'm Catholic, and that's not Christian enough. Uh, Measuring a man. I think it's the cursing, Roy. I think it's the cursing, Royce. (laughs) You're blaming Catholicism. I'm blaming the cursing. Go ahead. Yeah, that makes that makes them soft (laughs) to them. I want I want to I want to see what their language is like when the CPS come to take their kid and, and, and give them dildo lunch boxes. Let's see how let's see how uh, cordial and and Maybe it's uh, that. Uh, yeah yeah well hey hey there's a dildo thrown away for sorry. everybody. I'm sorry. I distracted you. Okay. I'm sorry. I distracted. All right. All right. You. Go back to all your right. point. <laughs> My point is this: um, the the Hindu thing doesn't bother me as much because uh, we have presidents who claim to be Christian, but they were really Luciferian. And I would take a Hindu man who is actually genuinely a Hindu man before I take a Luciferian. These are measurements we have to decide now as the American people. And and if we look at 
a guy like Ron DeSantis, and I'm not saying he's a Luciferian, but I am saying that there is a prevailing crop of Luciferian, uh, uh, Bohemian Grove, um, United Nations, Lucis Trust type of characters that come out of these Ivy League schools. Skull and Bones, Yale is one of them, probably the sine qua non, one of the biggest, the Bushes. I mean, these people are all but openly Luciferian. The Hindu thing doesn't bother me as much. I mean, it, it, it for me personally, it doesn't bother me. And also, I want to say, I believe that in the end, um, it, it, overall, there are other religions other than Christianity that try and encapsulate much of what we would call good deeds or lifestyle uh, choices, lifestyles of the physical world. They just don't answer the metaphysical well. And, and the Christ model is a model of self-sacrifice and it's a model of mercy and it's, it has a, a bunch of other qualities to it. We're the, only, we're the only faith tradition of the major religions in the world where our Messiah sacrificed himself, threw himself on the sword for the betterment of, of humanity in the way that he did. That's unique to Christianity. Islam, Muhammad was a warlord. Okay, and Hindu, it's, they don't even have really a messiah of the humankind. Buddhism, that's a, a totally different thing. Uh, that's that's resigning from the world, which is not the same as Christ, although the Judeo-Buddhists would like to make it seem like it is, right? The, the Buddha and Christ are one and the same. No, they're not. The Buddha resigned from the world, got enlightened and moved to another dimension. Christ died in a painful, excruciating way for our sins. Big difference. But all in all, the Hindu thing doesn't bother me because I think Buddhists and Hindus and many other religions can come under the scope and influence of Christ. That's not beyond the Christ that I love and worship. And there's room for people to curse too, Royce. Uh, so hopefully, you know, hopefully. welcome aboard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, when we come back, Royce isn't going anywhere. We're going to. Stop down for a second. And we want to talk about Tucker Carlson. He reemerged, as I referenced with uh, Vivek earlier. He reemerged on Twitter with uh, Tucker on Twitter. We'll talk about that with Royce White. You can also get some Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. More with Royce next. All right, welcome back. Uh, Tucker Carlson reemerged on Twitter uh, last night, and it was quite uh, the reemergence. People went nuts, and and I think it's got 50, 60 million views over Twitter, whatever that means. Let's play a couple of excerpts uh, from Tucker uh, last night on Twitter, and then myself, Royce, and TJ will react. Here's clip one. It is vitally important for you to support Ukraine because it's necessary for Ukraine to be supported by you. Your support is mandatory until it's finished, whatever it is and whatever that means. So shut up and support Ukraine or else you're in trouble. Back when they still taught logic, statements like this were known as tautologies. Something is true because it is. The more you repeat it, the truer it becomes. It's a self-reinforcing reality. There was a time when tautologies were considered illegitimate arguments, not to mention hilariously stupid. Only dumb people talk like that. Now everybody in power talks like that. Diversity is our strength. 
Trans women are women. Zelensky is Churchill. It's all self-evidently true. Doesn't need an explanation and don't ask questions. Sound familiar? Of course it does. That's the pap they're serving us day after day in steaming lumpy portions. By this point, it's possible that American citizens are the least informed people in the world. Your average yak herder in Tajikistan knows who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. It's obvious. Does he think some skinny dude in a dress is actually a girl? <laughs> Come on. That idea would never occur to him. You've got to be lied to at full volume over a period of years in order to reach conclusions like that. And of course, we have been. The media lie. They do. But mostly they just ignore the All stories right. that matter. All right, listen, I, I want to stop there and I want to make a point to Royce. Bring Royce up on camera. And, <laughs> and this is before we give our full opinion on what Tucker did. But okay. Royce, I want, this, is one, this is a teachable moment for you. See, because Tucker Carlson has figured out what you haven't figured out yet. He knows how to speak to dumb people. And he's got one of those million-dollar vocabularies like you. And if yeah. you notice, Royce, he used the word tautology or whatever. And he, yeah. he paused for a second and says, oh, Whitlock may see this. And Whitlock graduated from Ball State with a 2.3 grade point average. Some girl named Susan Curtis is responsible for 1.3 of that 2.3. I better yeah. tell Whitlock what tautology means and then continue. Okay. <laughs> That's what we need from Royce White. You got to learn how to talk to dummies like me, like Tucker has. Hey, That's hey, hey. the beauty of Tucker Carlson. Hey. Hey, you and you and Tucker got 20 years on me. You got more experience talking to jerk offs. In my life, I never talked to them. Okay, I'm I'm learning on the fly. I just dismiss them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm learning. All right. Well, teachable moment, Royce. Uh, let's play clip number two here from Tucker Carlson. What's happened to the hundreds of billions of U.S. dollars we've sent to Ukraine? No clue. Who organized those BLM riots three years ago? No one's gotten to the bottom of that. What exactly happened on 9-11? Well, it's still classified. How did Jeffrey Epstein make all that money? How did he die? How about JFK? And so endlessly on. Not only are the media not interested in any of this, they are actively hostile to anybody who is. In journalism, curiosity is the gravest crime. Yesterday, for example, a former Air Force officer who worked for years in military intelligence came forward as a whistleblower to reveal that the U.S. government has physical evidence of crashed non-human made aircraft, as well as the bodies of the pilots who flew those aircraft. The Pentagon has spent decades studying these otherworldly remains in order to build more technologically advanced weapons systems. Okay, that's what the former intel officer revealed, and it was clear he was telling the truth. In other words, UFOs are actually real, and apparently so is extraterrestrial life. Now we know. In a normal country, this news would qualify as a bombshell, the story of the millennium. But in our country, it doesn't. The whistleblower's account ran on a technology website called The Debrief, which you've probably never heard of. The Washington Post had that story, but decided not to run it. The New York Times, meanwhile, just pretended it never happened. Mm. I want to stop here and talk about that particular clip. Do we believe in UFOs? Do, do, that was 
The one area of Tucker's deal where I was like, "Woo, boy, I'm, I'm going to have to pump the brakes on this one here. Uh, I don't know how I feel about UFOs and how I feel about alien life forces. Uh, Royce, what, 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 what do you, should this have been front page news, this whistleblower? Uh, or is the whistleblower perhaps a crackpot? Well, look, this, I mean, you want to go here. I mean, wow. We're we're going we're going way out there into the deep. <laughs> I'm going where Tucker took us. Yeah, yeah. Well, God bless him. God bless him. The man's not afraid of anything. <sighs> Numero uno on the domestic terrorist list now. Uh, if not before to, to last night, then certainly now he is. Um, th this is going to be one of the look in the in the entire arc of this post World War II democratic liberal order. Scholastic, scholastic meaning school, right? The educational narrative. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and the whole arc of this history, it is a bombshell to, to even consider or to have evidence that there's extraterrestrial life. Um, now, this is going to become one of those wedge issues that's super strange. And it, it just, it's got so many different factions out there because you'll have your flat earthers and your hardline Christians who say there is no extraterrestrial life from a biblical standpoint. The flat earthers are going to say there's a firmament. You can't leave Earth's orbit. And many of those people are anti-establishment. They reject the establishment. They're some of the people who watch Alex Jones. They're some of the people who will now come out to support Tucker Carlson. Right? So there, there's that faction of people. Then there's the faction of people who fancy themselves a little bit more scientifically rational, who go, of course there's extraterrestrial life out there. And then on that side of things, more towards that end of things, you have the people that will go so far as to say, this is all a simulation. Of course there's aliens because we're living in one big computer program. I mean, the gamut is so big. The spectrum is so big along this issue. Where do I fall on it? I don't know. I don't care. I mean, I just don't, don't really care. I think there's good, there is good indication that there's something flying around out there that we don't understand, whether it's government or from another planet, another universe, another dimension. I don't know. I can't be sure. To even make a guess is kind of like I'm, a, I'm an idiot when it comes to this. I could tell you about the corporatocracy until the sun comes home, for sure. <laughs> I could tell you about the military-industrial complex. When we get to aliens, I mean, I'm just wholly inept to, to speak on it. Um, I do see a, a narrative popping up amongst Christians that that would suggest potentially the government using an alien invasion, using this UFO propaganda to condition the people to accept that a rapture or a tyrannical government that goes and sweeps up dissidents is really some type of UFO invasion. I mean, we're we're so far out there into into cons into genuine conspiracy. It's hard to know what to believe, especially when it comes to military capacity and technology. Um, I tend to think there are probably uh, intelligent life forms out there, and and uh, they're flying around. And if they are flying around, we are wholly outgunned. Uh, so the, the 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 fact that they haven't attacked us yet is a good sign that they're either waiting for something, uh, something. Specific, Maybe they've done a deal with our elites already. That's what a lot of people, but that's the Alex Joneses of the world. They think that the interdimensional beings and the, and the aliens have already cut a deal with our elites. And that's why this managed decline seems so controlled because they, our elites have a set of, uh, a set of, uh, uh, a, a, a set of um, information 
that makes it all but obvious why they're choosing to do things the way they are. They've cut a deal. I don't know about that. I mean, that's something Donald Trump would probably better know than Vivek uh, Ramswamy. <laughs> he, he's probably been informed on it. TJ, UFOs, is, it, is this a possible six-card Monty? Mm, yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to read you a uh, headline from Fox News. Pentagon denies secret UFO retrieval program after the whistleblower bombshell. So that's settled. They exist. And <laughs> if they're denying it, it exists. But uh, I'll tell you, moreover, there are 200 billion galaxies estimated. The universe expands every second. It's like every time we develop a new telescope, you know, the Hubbard telescope, whatever, we see something new and crazy that we've never seen before. And it, it seems pretty arrogant to think we're the only ones here. <laughs> 200 billion galaxies out there. And it's like, you know, we only, we know of a few planets, you know, back when I was a kid, there used to be nine, we thought Pluto exited. No, that's just a moon now. So now there's only eight planets. It's like, you know, Elon's out there. He's like, nah, there are no aliens. I would know. It's like, would you know? You, you know, you've been to Mars and back, you haven't, but you've sent something there. How would you know of the 200 billion galaxies you would know? And also, we're, we talk about an infinite God that has always existed forever. And you don't think maybe he can do two things at once, govern over two different type of Earths. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we've got our one over here. There's not more things going on. And so it seem, seems pretty obvious to me that there is something out there. Um, we would be, you know, to, to think... A universe this big again. That is, a, we we can't. Every time we discover something new, we figure out how wrong we were five minutes ago, and so we we keep trying to trace back. Like, when did this all start? And we can't figure it out because we keep discovering. Oh, it's that many light years away. And it's a, anytime you listen to these scientists, the further we go, they say everything we were 100% sure about five minutes ago, we're 100% wrong about now. And so, yeah, there's something going on out there. I'm going to express no opinion on this because I'm just not smart enough. Let's play the third clip from Tucker Carlson. So if you're wondering why our country seems so dysfunctional, this is a big part of the reason. Nobody knows what's happening. A small group of people control access to all relevant information, and the rest of us don't know. We're allowed to yap all we want about racism, but go ahead and talk about something that really matters and see what happens. If you keep it up, they'll make you be quiet. Trust us. That's how they maintain control. When Western tourists first started traveling in large numbers to the Soviet Union in the early 1970s, they found that many Russians had a completely warped understanding of the United States. They thought that Americans lived in grinding poverty, in a state of perpetual race war, and were desperate to flee to the freedom and prosperity of the Eastern Bloc. They thought this because that's what they had been told. They had no way to know otherwise. The few Russians who understood what was really going on in the rest of the world had learned about it from listening to shortwave radio broadcasts, sometimes under the covers so the neighbors wouldn't hear. 50 years later, it is bewildering to consider the ironies here. We're the ones who live in ignorance now. The US government has managed to classify more than a billion so-called public documents. So at this point, we can't possibly know what our leaders are doing. We're not allowed to know. By definition, that is not a democracy. Yet it's fine with the media. Secrecy is a powerful tool of control. Stop asking how we got so rich. Here's another story about racism. Go eat each other. That's the program. That's how most of us now live here in the United States. Manipulated by lies, silenced by taboos. It is unhealthy and it's dehumanizing. And we're tired of it. So, 
On this, Royce, I'll go advantage Royce White. Royce, you say that very sim- simply. We're too busy jerking off to care about what's really going on. That's what <laughs> Tucker just said. He said it in a more complex way. You say it very simply. Uh, I, I found that aspect of, and he just put out a 10 and a half minute video, but that whole aspect about, because he ended it by saying, that what he wants to do with Tucker on Twitter, he wants to be that shortwave radio. And Twitter wants to kind of be that shortwave radio where we're actually allowed to talk about things that we're not supposed to talk about. I think you, maybe not citing this directly, but maybe inspired by this directly, I think in the last 24 hours, you've had a tweet about like, hey man, they got to put Alex Jones back on this platform in order for me to believe it's a free speech platform. And if the, it, Alex Jones does belong on Twitter, he needs, he's been proven that he's not some whack job that's a liar. Yeah, he was wrong about Sandy Hook, but there's so much stuff he's been right about. And if we're going to have a full, robust, transparent, free speech conversation, He has to be allowed back on. Tucker added a caveat last night that like, as long as he believes that Twitter is free speech and not going to censor him, he'll stay there. If he finds out otherwise, he's going to leave. What do you predict? Will Twitter be this shortwave radio where we're really allowed to explore the truth on that platform? Will the system allow that? Tough to tough to say. I think Tucker's playing it smart. I mean, he's not he's not closing the door to the to the the reality to the possibility that Twitter becomes tyrannical again. And and I did say on Twitter the other day, I'm a free speech absolutist. Right? Call me a fine. That's fine. My emotions, my my uh, my my connection, my my uh, feelings towards the word. Uh, do not supersede my understanding of free speech as a, as a constitutional uh, necessity, as a, as a fundamental pillar of American citizenship. Call me fine. Now, some people out there of a darker complexion would go, oh, you're only half black anyway, so the word wouldn't mean as much to you. Those people are jerk-offs. Good example. Um, but but what I'm saying is, yes, Alex Jones, I don't believe that Elon Musk is who he says he is as long as people like Alex Jones who by all metrics really paved the way for Elon Musk to even say the things he's saying and doing now. If he doesn't let Alex Jones back on, uh, how, how, how can we believe that he is who he says he is? Uh, and, and that's not to say that I'm not open to, Ale- to, to Elon uh, being a force for good, because I am. I'm open to everybody being a force for good uh, in some respect. I don't preclude miracles because I believe in God and I believe in the, 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 the Bible. Um, and he, there are many people who became forces for good, who had big problems, who sinned, so on and so forth. So it's not beyond the God I love and serve to use all kinds of people. All I'm saying is when it comes to his stance on free speech, there's a gaping hole when Alex Jones is left out there in the void, in my opinion. TJ, what did you think of Tucker's deal last night? So there, <clears throat> nitpicking here, um, but there is a Taylor Lorenz, the Washington Post, you know, she came out and basically said Tucker's obviously outside of his realm here. There's no jump cuts and sort of went into 
the idea that the digital world is different. You can't just roll it out there on network TV. Now, she looks foolish because he got 70 plus million views, but it did kind of look low budget. And, I, and I'm wondering if that's intentional. Like, what's his strategy? What's he trying to prove? What is he doing? That wasn't a show. That was a 10-minute monologue. That's like the equivalent of us putting, putting out a clip. And so what, there's more to it. Tucker thinks all this stuff through. It was a month or so. Oh, for one, let me push back a, t a tiny bit. Maybe he's trying to prove that the expression of original thought and ideas and information is all you need. But, but maybe he's basically being Virgil Walker and saying, I don't gotta be Mike Todd. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have to, you know, and, and, and it's like, it almost like, you know what, God should have put the Bible out on video with all these extra displays. And the guy was like, no, the word is powerful enough. Maybe that's what Tucker's saying, that the word is powerful enough. And that may be true, and that's, that's part of what I'm saying here, is that there was, even his lighting wasn't good. Half of his face had a shadow on it, like it just, it was low budget. Was that intentional? What's he trying to do? He was non-committal at the end, as you pointed out in the meeting this morning. He didn't say, we'll see you tomorrow night. He basically said, I might see you later. We'll see how this goes on Twitter, I don't know. And so what is he doing exactly? It's possible that's the point he's making. I think there was more to it than just putting out a 10 minute monologue on stuff that he's largely talked about over his time. It wasn't anything groundbreaking yesterday. He, it, it was a good video and it's stuff that got attention, but it did 70 million views, not because it was a viral video of some untapped, uncharted territory we'd never heard of. It's because it was Tucker Carlson reappearing and what's he trying to get out here? Royce, did you have any of those? I mean, you do a podcast now. You've positioned yourself in a way on your podcast, the, the, you know, the whole Morpheus type setup. Did you have any of those types of concerns? About Tucker's appearance, of Tucker's video? Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought the audio sounded a little shoddy just for, for, for it to be Tucker. But, I mean, he, there is a – and you and I, we all know there's a significant difference between the production value or the production equipment that goes into a Fox News studio and, and what you can do, you know, sort of a run-and-gun independent. And that there's just a stark difference in, in, on so many levels. Compatibility of – I mean, it's just so many levels. Um, I think I think we, we have to – realize that a lot of the let's not get caught up in the 70 million view number um tucker had the, the the highest rated cable network television show because he's good he's very good i mean he's talented he's a talented as as it gets you can't deny that he's funny in the, the whole nine he's got the whole the whole package um but a lot of the interest around tucker right now is that there are people who always believe that the mainstream media was corrupt and they're waiting on Tucker to tell them how. They're waiting on Tucker to whistleblow uh, insider baseball stuff in, within Fox News that he's probably not even able to talk about yet. Uh, I don't know contracts and 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 uh, you know NDAs and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that Tucker's probably bound and constrained by. But I know myself personally, I'm waiting to hear what Tucker's going to tell us about Fox and Dominion. I'm waiting for Tucker to tell us why they why and where he was told to stay silent. I know, but because everything he's talking about now is the same stuff he was talking about on Fox. It's not like he's saying anything different, like TJ said, and it's not a knock on Tucker. All I'm saying is a lot of the, the momentum and a lot of the, the attention around Tucker right now is everybody on the edge of their seat waiting to understand the full depth of how corrupt Fox is and how they play as a, as a chip in this new world order scam. 
He's saying it without naming names is what I'm saying. He's saying it without saying it. We want him to say it. Say it. Say the names. Tell us who was it? Who made the calls? Was it Rupert Murdoch? Who was it? He may not be able to meet expectations there, not just because of NDAs and contracts. It, it's because of the way that he works in terms of isolated. Has a studio in, I think, Massachusetts or Maine. Maine. Has a studio in Florida that I've been to. And he, he didn't engage with the Suzanne Scotts and some of the top executives at Fox did have some dealings, I think, with Lachlan Murdoch and Rupert or whatever, but it wasn't a day-to-day thing because he lives in his own little silo and his own little world, and so it would be no different than it, someone saying, man, I can't wait for Whitlock to tell me everything that goes on at the Blaze. Well, I live in Nashville. The Blaze's offices in Dallas. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I know... <laughs> And, 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 and this is said with no, because, you know, I talk to Tyler and Gaston regularly, but I don't climb up in all their business. I talk about my business. And, and so I, I don't, if they have a question about something that's going on with other parts of the blaze, I may answer it, but I, I'm not, hey, man, tell me the guys. I mean, some things I don't, I read about on Twitter. And I'm like, man, that happened three days ago or two weeks ago. I didn't even know. So... I do think there's some of that where he may not meet people's expectations. For me, it's funny that that video aired last night because I can tell you, not making it up, but earlier in the day I was like, man, what's going on with Tucker Carlson? Is he coming back? Is he going to, you know, and I thought about texting him and asking, but it's like, I'm going to stay out of this man's business. You know, I, Give the man some pride. He'll he'll reach out to me when he needs me or when I can help or or whatever. Uh, do do we think what we saw last night? If he just three times a week, once a week, once a month, if if he's just going to put out monos, is that going to be enough, or will six months from now there'll be? very little interest in what Tucker Carlson has to say. I, look, I, I think Tucker has to go back to being Tucker. If you're only, you know, part of it was appointment television, seven o'clock every night, you show up and know exactly what you're gonna get. And it was gonna be Tucker Carlson talking about something very interesting that nobody else is willing to touch. And if you get that once a week, it's like, even if he does kind of what Royce is talking about in a tell-all, how long can you tell all? You gotta go back to being yourself. And there is something he was able to get. The reason Tucker was so good, aside from his monologues, is the rest of the show would be full of the most interesting people in America giving their unique opinion that they were saving to deliver on the most popular show in America. So you could only get it there. I think he has to go back to being Tucker. And I don't know, you know, it's uh, Robert F. Kennedy, you you brought this up this morning too, talked about how podcasts may decide this next election because you got guys like Joe Rogan who get 12 million views you know, for a three hour show, Tucker may need to extend beyond just Twitter. And he already has a website, tuckercarlson.com, where you can go in there and that's, he's posting it. But he, this may all, like his video version, maybe that just lives on Twitter, but I think eventually it goes to Apple, who knows where else it may go to, to get a real podcast, a sit down. It may just be his regular show, but he needs to get back to having conversations
conversations with the top presidential candidates, the people that are forming the policy. And, you know, it's, there were a lot of complaints when Tucker was on air that he got to dictate by his questioning and by the avenue and the people he chose to have on the direction of the country and that he had too much power. And that Fox had a problem with that because they, they couldn't get control of him. And he would say, I don't want to talk about that person. America should be talking about this. Let's have this person on. And he got to dictate. And so he needs to get back to that. And that's not a once a week or three times a week, 10 minute monologue. Roy? Yeah, I don't, I don't like Tucker once a week, once a month. And, and I, you know, I, t- I, said, I think I said this before on the show. The one problem with the conservative movement, the one problem with the America First movement or the MAGA movement, too many egos, too many egos from the hitters. I think you and Tucker and Steve and Alex uh, and and Glenn and, and Donald Trump and whoever else may have these slight differences need to get in the room and 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 uh, wage a full-scale counter initiative right now while we have the liberal mainstream media industrial complex on the ropes. Get Joe Rogan in there, too. Joe may be a little slow to come into the fold. He's he's taking the money. A lot of people think he's sold out. I'm not going to make any judgments. I like Rogan's podcast. But there's a lot of people out there. Right now, we need to pool our resources because we are in a war. We're in an information war. This isn't just passion anymore. Fearless isn't just a passion project of Jason Whitlock. Tucker's media content, whatever he's going to do, it's not just a passion project and his search for the truth or his his desire to, to tell the truth. Alex Jones, InfoWars is no longer just a passion project. We are in a full-scale information war, like Tucker laid out, and, and war a war of this scale and this magnitude is going to take serious, serious battle plans, and it's going to cause for certain uh, independent actors to become strategic allies and and pull their resources and their attention and their audience and cross message to to come up with a victory in 24 and beyond. Funny you mention that. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. This I'm going to complain publicly. Uh, this may be inappropriate, but I can't get your guy Alex Jones to call me back. I had a very simple question I needed to run by, and he hasn't called me back. And I've I've had people reach out to him. I've you know. Because I'm chopped liver, so tell your boy Alex Jones who you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm look I'm hunting for him. Anybody watching this okay. show? I'm, I'm gonna call him. Uh, I, I'm gonna call him today. I had a question. Today. I need I needed some advice from Alex Jones, and I couldn't get it. He left me out here hanging. Tell Alex I'm gonna play the race card on him. Won't call me back. <laughs> <laughs> He'll love that. He'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, uh, thank you, Royce. Uh, great job, as always. Uh, omnisexual. Somebody had to say it. Can't be a show <laughs> with Royce White without saying omnisexual. All right, uh, we'll play tomorrow, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my sister, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all receiving, we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want.